Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Good morning, everyone. Hallelujah. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Today I want to talk to you about the behavior of the righteous. The behavior of the righteous. Turn to somebody and tell them, you need to behave. Uh, I don't know. I just wanted to say that. We're going to find out why, right? Okay. So uh, I just want to say I love my wife. You are a tremendous woman of God. And we've uh, been walking through a difficult time. Of course, as you know, that she lost her younger brother on uh, April the 17th. And um, your overwhelming support has just been tremendous. I want to thank you, uh, my church family, for... Um, uh, just all the, the kind uh, kindness that you've showed toward us and just your messages and your prayers and, and the food that you've brought over to our house. Um, just you've been, a, you've been a great, great comfort to us, and we thank you. And then, and then last week when we did uh, Justin's uh, service last Sunday, there were so many of you that came and supported Heather and I and, and, and all of our family. Just thank you so much. It just means the world to us. You mean the world to us, and uh, we love you guys very much. God is good. You know, I kind of, I've come to find out in really difficult situations like this and tough times, one thing that remains is God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. He just keeps on being faithful. He just keeps on loving us and he keeps on staying tried and true and he continues to be that rock in our lives that we can cling to and know that we are safe and secure with him. And that hope that we have in him, as the scripture says, is, a, is an anchor. It's an anchor of our souls. So we don't weep like those who have no hope. Because one of these days, we're all going to be reunited again. Hallelujah. And this moment, this time of grief that seems to carry on for a long time is going to be but a whisper when we see him face to face. It's just going to be a whisper. It's just going to be a fleeting moment. And then it's forever reunited together and with our Savior Jesus. So I am grateful for that. Aren't you grateful for that? That this, that this life here on earth is not all that there is to life? You know, I'm grateful to God for that. That though I love this life and I think it's wonderful. But this isn't everything. We have another life that we're really living for. We're really living right now as believers, and one of the things that we're going to talk about today is this, the behavior of the righteous is tapping into that life that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ, that everlasting kind of life that we can experience its power right here, right now on planet earth. God is, God is faithful to us in, in this way. In Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read verse 1. It says this, <clears throat> My, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Now, how many of you have kids here today? All right, you have, how many times, have you ever told your kid, be careful, look both ways, crossing the street? Have you done it more than once? You've done it a lot of times, haven't you? It's not, so, it's not to be tedious, it's to be safe, right? Because you want your children to be safe. And this is what Paul's telling us. He said, for me to write the same thing, this is not tedious. This is for your safety because there are those out there who are coming to you and they're coming to you with bad intentions, with bad hearts. And this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to talk you out of your freedom in Christ. 
They're trying to talk you out of your freedom in Christ in this way, telling you that you have to keep rules and regulations in order to stay in right standing with God. And Paul said, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And we got to be people that are not ashamed of the gospel, of the good news of God, that there is no, there is, there is no bait and switch with the gospel. That, yeah, it's free, but boy, you better straighten up. If you're going to stay in, in the family of God, you better live right. Right? This is the good news. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's it. That's the whole story. And whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. Right? And these, these, these religious people, they could not stand that message. They could not stand it because they, it, it meant that they had nothing to do with their performance. It was fully trusting on Jesus and Jesus alone to save them. And they hated that because it messed up their whole religious system. Poor babies. <laughs> Poor little sons of the devil. Look at verse 2. Watch. Beware of do- This is what Paul calls these religious nuts. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. These are guys that are going to church, folks. These are guys that are depending upon their own righteousness, their own goodness to attain some kind of merit with God, and Paul calls them dogs and evil workers because they've rejected the real gospel. Beware of the mutilation. The mutilation, wow. The mutilation, what he's talking about is those, these guys, these what they call Judaizers, were we're, we're coming into these churches where all these Gentiles, you know, how many pagans are here in the house? Am I the only pagan here? Okay, uh, all right. Well, I'll, I'll admit it. I'll, you guys are all lying in the house of God. You understand that, right? You probably should get right right now. How many pagans are in the house here today? All right, yeah, all of us. We're, anything that was outside of the, of the Jewish nation were called pagans, all right? Redeemed pagans. But here's the deal. So this happens, uh, and so the, these Jewish guys are coming in, they're saying, now listen to me, if, 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 if your, your salvation, your righteousness is going to be authentic, you're going to have to do some certain things. You have to keep the law of Moses, that is, you've got to do the Ten Commandments, and you need to be circumcised, guys. Now, I'm not, I know that that was not good news for any of the Gentile men there. They're saying, you have to prove it, that you're righteous by doing these things. So, Paul said, you got to beware of these guys because they're evil workers. Because what they're trying to do is rob you of your freedom in Christ that you can only find in Him. And they're going to get you to try to depend on your performance, depend on yourself, depend on your good works to maintain your righteousness. And nothing could be further from the truth. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. If you get your eyes off Him, you get your eyes off the prize. If you start looking at yourself to save yourself and to help yourself, you are a fool. Now watch this. Look what he says. For we are the circumcision. That's kind of a weird thing to say, isn't it? Come on. Let's, let's just make a friend of this phrase. We are the circumcision. <laughs> just roll off your tongue so freely. Didn't that set you free today? We are the circumcision. Ooh, when you think about circumcision, mm, I don't, I don't want to identify with that. Are we talking about the same thing? Well, Paul says this, 
And, and here's why he's saying this, because circumcision started with an old man by the name of Abraham years and years and years ago. Think about this. God comes and meets with this guy named Abram, and he tells him, you need to get up and get out of your country at 75 years old when he should be retiring down in Florida and playing golf the rest of his life. Now God says, you need to pick up everything. You got to go move. I'm going to take you to a place you don't know, but I'm going to show it to you, and I'm going to give you this land for an inheritance. It's time to really get life started, Abraham, Abram. So Abram does. He obeys God, and he goes out there, and guess what? He finds out there ain't nothing there but a famine, so he goes over to Egypt and starts prospering. Then after a little while, he comes back and, 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 in, and just begins to follow God. Out there, dwelling in tents, camping, trying to hear God, and God tells him, I want you to notice something, Abraham. In you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. And your descendants are going to be like the stars of heaven. And Abraham said, what are you going to give me since I don't have any kids? He said, listen to me. Listen to me. Look at those stars. Those are your kids. Look at that sand. If you can count the grains of sand, that's how many kids are yours. And the Scripture says that Abram believed God. And at that moment, he was made righteous. This is before he, this is before he was circumcised. He was made righteous by faith. He was not made righteous because he obeyed God and went out to this country. That's not what made him righteous. He wasn't righteous when he tithed to the, to the priest Melchizedek. He still wasn't made righteous. It was the moment he put his faith in God is when he was made righteous. So that we would all understand that it's not by our works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's by his mercy hmm? that he saved us. And so now Abram is out there, and then God meets with him and says, now listen, here's the deal. I need, I need to, I need to uh, pull you in a little bit closer to me. You, you're going you're gonna, to, out of you, a nation is going to come, and so you're going to have to look different. <laughs> so, I, so this is what I want you to do, Abram. Oh, by the way, Abram at this point is 99 years old, all right? Circumcision is supposed to start as a baby, a 99-year-old man. Now listen to me. This, this is how, to me, this is proof that this was God's covenant. No man in his right mind is going to make something like that up to do. It's just not going to happen. Oh, I've got an idea to show that I am uh, consecrated to God. Circumcision. No man is going to make that up. Now, a woman, she might make that up. <laughs> but God is the one who came up with this. That's how we know it was him. And Abraham did it. And then God changed his name from father. That's what Abram means, to father of a multitude of nations. In my family, he had not one, not one, not one child to prove that he was a father of a multitude of nations. He looks a bit crazy out there, doesn't he? And you imagine as he's talking to his men after his meeting with God, what did he tell you, Abraham? Well, <clears throat> guys, because God not only told Abraham to circumcise himself, but all the men that were born in his house. So he says, guys, you're gonna, you're gonna, now you, I've, God changed my name from, from father to father of a multitude of nations. So get this in your mouth, Abraham's. Everybody say Abraham. You imagine what they're thinking, like, oh, my gosh. We felt crazy enough calling you father when you didn't have any kids, and now you're saying you're father of the world? Have you lost your mind? Oh, yeah, there's this other part, guys. There's this other part. Uh, 
in order to keep your job. <laughs> so, okay, let me get this straight, Abraham. You want us to call you father of a multitude, father of the world, and you want us to do what with our pocket knives? Well, no, praise God, that was just the seal of the righteousness of faith. This is what I'm getting at. That was not what made Abraham righteous, but it was the seal that he was righteous. It's what separated them from everybody else. Now, that circular scar was really, was really paving the way for the Savior to come. I don't have time to get into all that today. Maybe sometime I'll teach you on We'll go in depth on circumcision if y'all are all up for that. But anyway, uh, but no, it really is some powerful truths in that, but so God, God uh, has Abraham do this, and then now Paul says, now what this means for us today, he says, listen to me, being a Jew or being in the family of God, a child of God is not about a natural circumcision, now it's about a circumcision of the heart, right? And that is a heart that's made righteous by faith, by simply believing, believing with your, as Jeremiah was saying this morning, believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. So... We are the circumcision. In other words, we are the righteousness of God now. We are the ones who are consecrated to God. And now, this is what the righteous behavior looks like. Check this out. Let's look this up. Verse 3. Uh, Philippians 3, sorry. For we are the circumcision, and here it is. Who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. We worship God in the Spirit. We rejoice in Christ Jesus, and we have no confidence. What does all that mean? Well, worship, the word worship here in the Greek is the word latruo, latrio, L-A-T-R-E-U-O or O-U, something like that. And it means to serve. It means to minister to God through service. To minister to God through service. To serve. To serve in any capacity. So really what this is saying is we serve God in the Spirit, it's not just about singing worship songs, even though that's part of it, but it's that, you know, if I have a basketball in my hand, it's worth about $30. If LeBron James has a basketball in his hand, his contract with the Cavaliers is worth $42 million. That's not including all of his endorsements and everything else that the guy's got his hands in. A baseball in this guy's hand is worth about 7 bucks. But Clayton Kershaw... $215 million. Wow. If Carl has a tennis racket in his hand, I don't know how good a t- tennis player you are, but I'm guessing about $195 maybe on a tennis racket. But in Roger Federer's hands, it's 17 Grand Slam titles. See, because the value of a thing is often determined by whose hands it's placed in. And when you give your service, your worship to God, you give yourself to Him, oh my goodness. Everything that you do is meaningful. Everything that you do has significance. Everything that you do has true value to it. Because He's who we're really living our lives for. Your, your, your service to God is of infinite value because that's really its purpose. To worship God in the Spirit means that means worship isn't some, some religious obligation or duty. Well, we got to go to church today. I probably should do that. But rather, it's your heart and soul's response. 
through this love that has come to you and this grace that has so freely come to you. And you've got to do something about that. Not just be a taker. Even though that's kind of what salvation is about. He's just given you the option to just take what he's given. But then to live your life in service to him out of gratitude. Because every day that we are given is a gift from God. How many of you agree with that today? You know, you woke up today. Some people didn't wake up today. But you did. Every day that we're given is a gift from God. And what we do in that day is our gift back to him. Our service to him. Our ministry to our God. So to to worship God in the spirit means that you're connected to your eternal purpose then. You're understanding that after this life, life really begins. And there are rewards that you're storing. Think about this. Us going to heaven, you going to heaven is not a reward for anything that you've done. You going to heaven is Jesus' reward for what he did. You are all his trophies. You are all his prizes for what he did. But that wasn't enough. I mean, that's, God didn't stop there. I mean, that's amazing enough, isn't it? But then God says, there are rewards for you to get for heaven. So you can store up stuff right now by what you do now in service and in ministry to God that is going to echo through all eternity. That's marvelous. To worship God in the Spirit means that you're connected to your eternal purpose. And you live your life in service to the one who gives you life. I was sharing uh, this next thought. We're going to go over to 2 Samuel chapter 6 for a moment about a guy by the name of Obed-Edom. Everybody say Obed-Edom. All right? And the scripture is Obed, O-B-E-D, dash Edom, E-D-O-M. And Edom were the people of of, uh, Esau. And uh, Obed means servant of, servant of Edom. Now, Obed-Edom was an interesting character in the Bible. He just kind of pops up out of nowhere. Uh, A marvelous thing happened. Something marvelous showed up at his house one day. Not by anything that he did, I'm quite sure. And he he was from the town of Gath. Anybody remember who else was from Gath? This Goliath, giant named Goliath, who David defeated with a sling and a stone. This is where Obed-Edom is from. I was sharing this with our worship uh, at our worship conference that we had over this weekend. By the way, it was a tremendous conference, that Cultivate conference. I just want to say, Jonna Gray was wherever you are. I never find, see you. There you are. It was, you were just spectacular. The whole thing was just done with excellence. Alex Ammons, fantastic job, young man. Just marvelous. I'm so proud of you guys, the way you minister with such depth. And our worship night was awesome. How many of you were at the worship night Friday night? I mean, it was tremendous. And it was cool because we had a couple of worship leaders from other campuses Kayla from our Dallas congregation and uh, uh, Stephanie from our other Dallas congregation, our Spanish church. Anyway, it was a great time. So I was sharing some of this insight with them. I was looking at this guy, Obed-Edom, because 2 Kings chapter 6, let's just read that for a moment. Verse 10, watch this. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now what happened was, what happened was, uh, is that David had decided he was now made king of Israel, and so he wanted to bring in, now this Ark of the Covenant, which was basically a box that was overlaid in gold and had these brass rings on the end so that they could put these poles in there for the priests to carry this Ark. Now in this box, this is where God's presence dwelt. It's kind of 
Interesting. This is where God's presence dwelt. In this ark, and had these two golden angels on top, cherubim, facing one another with their wings up like this. It was kind of a, a neat thing, and, and it had a few things in it. Uh, the law, it had Aaron's rod, and it had a bowl of manna, that, that food that came down from heaven that sustained the children of Israel in the wilderness all those many years. You can remember the three things in there by uh, the Bible, all the law, uh, the bud, the rod that budded, and the bread. You're welcome. All right, anyway. So, but this is where the presence of God dwelt. And so David thought, I'm, I'm, he's king of Israel now. I've got to get the presence of God here in amongst us. And so, but he messed up royally because the God of the Old Testament was a God of many rules and regulations, all right? I mean, the children of Israel had lots of rules to follow, not just the, the big Ten Commandments. There were lots of rules. If you, ever, if you are ever wondering what it was like to live, just go live back then. Just go to the book of Leviticus and try reading it. It's a difficult, difficult read, all right? And to think all the stuff they had to do, it had to do it just right, because if they didn't do it just right, bad things happened, many times resulting in death. But God had a way that his presence would be carried upon the priests of uh, the shoulders of the priests, all right? Well, David somehow, I don't know why he forgot about that, but they loaded that Ark of the Covenant, housing the presence of God on this cart, and had these oxen pulling it into town, and they were, they were having this big parade, and everybody was rejoicing, and as they're going, it comes to this threshing floor, and the oxen stumbled. One of the oxen stumbled, and when it happened, the cart bobbled like this, and this poor dude named Uzzah, who happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, reaches up to steady the ark so it doesn't fall, and as soon as he touches it, he drops dead. So David freaks out. He's thinking, we're not bringing this death box into Jerusalem. This is not going to happen. So he gets angry at God. He gets, he's really afraid of God. And so that's why this ark ends up at this guy named Obed-Edom's house. You imagine, I, I'm, I guess David probably didn't tell him the story. Hey, a guy just dropped dead touching this box, so be careful, Obed. I mean, I'd be like, <laughs> don't bring that in here, man. I, I don't know how he convinced him to put it in his house, but he did. And something marvelous happened for Obed. The scripture says that God began to bless him and that that box that housed God's presence affected him and his children, that he prospered in everything that he did. I mean, it was like he hit the lottery, man. For the next three months, this guy's life is rocking and rolling. And so, the, so much so that the news gets out that he's prospering in everything and all good things happen to Obed all the time. And so finally, the news gets to David. He's like, no, 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 no. We're bringing that. Okay, we're bringing it here. So then he begins to do some research. Oh, on the shoulders of the priest. Sorry about that, Uzzah. Um, so they finally bring in the ark right to the city, and they're all rejoicing. It was a marvelous event. Something happened in Obed-Edom, though. Having that experience in his house, he could not get enough of it. See, he had already tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and he had to have more. So what he did was uh, he grabs up his family, moves his family, which happened to be something like 62 people. All right, this guy's really prospering. I don't know how his wife felt about that, but I know that this guy was, had a lot of kids. And he takes his friend, and they, he moves them all into the city, and he starts rolling up his sleeves and getting involved in the work of the church. Because where that was in the temple, in the tabernacle of David, the Ark of the Covenant rested there. 
And wherever the ark was, that's where you'd find Obed-Edom. Scripture says that he was a gatekeeper. It also goes on to say, as you read through, through Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, you'll read, you'll, every once in a while, you just come up on his name. And then, and then, and then Obed-Edom is also one of the directors, one of the music directors. He's, he's like Jonah. And he's directing all the stringed instruments. Not only is he doing that, but he's also involved in the music. The scripture says he's actually a player himself. Not that kind of player. I mean, an instrument player. Anyway, he's involved. This guy just wants to, he's serving in any capacity. And then the scripture goes on to tell us that now he's also a doorkeeper of the ark. This guy is bumped up right up, not touching it, of course, right up against as close to the ark as he possibly could get. Why? Because that presence did something in his life. And in response, Obed said, I got to do something. I got to serve God. I want to worship him. How can I do it? And he found every possible way to serve and got his hands in the work. Let me remind you, family, the, the, the behavior of the righteous is one that is looking to serve Looking to serve, how can I do, what can I do for God? How can I show him what he means to me? I know I'll serve him. And let me tell you something, the greatest involvement that you can, you can get into, my family, is in the house of God. Because this is how God is doing business in the earth today, is through his church. We are here, a city set on a hill, a light to our community. This, this is worth your time and effort and service God is building his church. And as far as I know, he's still doing it. And he's invited us along to work with him. Listen to him. We don't work for God. We work with God. All right? He brings us right up along his side and says, partner with me in this. We're co-laborers, the scripture says. We're co-heirs with Christ. We're in this thing with him. We're not trying to perform for him. We, Jesus already performed for us. Now we're with him. Amen. I know what time it is. I do know what time it is. Doesn't mean I care, but I do know what time it is. Anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I sat where you sat for many years. I sympathize. All right, let's go to verse three again. Verse three of Philippians chapter three. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. Everybody say boasting. Because that's what the word rejoice means. We, we first see that we serve the behavior of the righteousness to serve, but it's also now to boast. Well, what are we bragging about? In Christ Jesus. We're boasting about him. Because our righteousness, we understand, is only found in Jesus Christ. He's the only thing that's really worth talking about. It's not by our own works. No, he saved us by his mercy. So that gives us every reason to rejoice. We're not spending our energy trying to gain some kind of merit with God and trying to be accepted by God. No, no. See, we understand that now in Jesus Christ, we're already accepted. In Jesus Christ, we're already loved and chosen and forgiven of all of our sins. He's called us and set us apart. Why? All because of Jesus. And he's worth bragging about. I mean, how do you glory? How do you boast about something? You have to have an audience for that. I mean, it does you no good bragging to yourself, unless you're Floyd Mayweather, because nobody's listening to him, but he sure does like to brag. He is 48 and 0, though. <laughs> I guess he has some bragging rights, but I shouldn't even have brought that up. Anyway, how do you, there, there's nothing, 
There's nothing. Think about all the things that you could brag about and glory about and talk about. That's, this is how you, you boast is by talking about things, right? What greater person could we brag on than Jesus, right? I mean, that, every other brag in the world is futile compared to him and what he's done for us. I was telling the earlier service, that'd be like being invited to a dinner party with Neil Armstrong, all right? You're sitting around the table with Neil Armstrong, and all these people are there, and all these guys are telling about what they've accomplished. Uh, I've got this many degrees. I'm this kind of doctor. Blah, 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 blah. Me, 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 me. Then the next guy's like, oh, I, I, uh, I have all the greatest cars in the world, and I've got a great collection of cars. I have, I have, I have, me, 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 me. Next guy, next guy, next guy. And O'Neill's over just eating a roll. <laughs> Finally, they all get through bragging about themselves. Neil swallows his roll. I walked on the moon. <laughs> he went. Every bragging story falls at the feet of, I walked on the moon. What else is worth bragging about when we have this great Savior who has saved us with so great a salvation? Huh? What, what else could we possibly brag on that would even mean anything? We're wasting our breath if our breath is not full of rejoicing and glorying and boasting in him. Why don't you just make a practice of it right now? Turn to somebody and just tell them. Brag on Jesus for just a moment. Just tell them something that he's done for you. Yeah, like right now, you know, interact. Come on, tell them. Say what Jesus has done for you. Brag on him. Let's talk about him. Let's glory in him. Let's focus on him. Because let me tell you something, you're his total focus. You are the object of his affection. And as we talk about him and as we glory in him, guess what it does? It does something to us. It does something to our minds. It does something to our hearts. It helps us remember what life is really all about. It's about that one that's seated next to the Father who's praying for us, who's mediating on our behalf, the man Christ Jesus. I love that. So that whatever I'm going through on this earth, always, always, always I have hope. Because as long as he's there next to God, we all have hope, my family. As long as that man is sitting there representing all men, we all have free access. And lastly, verse 3, who have no confidence in the flesh. Everybody say humility. So this Christian behavior, this behavior of the righteous, has much to do with service, with boasting, and with humility. Humility. It's an interesting word. And people have weird ideas about humility. And you can find out about how somebody understands God in life by how they view what being humble is. Let me tell you, let me show you something, an example, and I'm not here to step on anybody's toes or anything. I'm just, I want, I want us all to get the right perspective about what true humility is. Because false humility wears a really pretty mask. All right? And it sounds pretty, pretty good, but the essence of it really is nothing but pride. I'll give you an example. Here's a, here's a prayer with false humility in it. Get ready. Lord, I don't ask for much. 
I just, I just want my needs met. That's all I ask. I don't want to bother you too much. I just, just want my needs met. You know, just take care of me and mine. Yeah, you aren't supposed to get quiet there. Hopefully you... you see? You're right? It, feel, it, feel, it feels like I'm being humble when I'm saying that. You're not being humble. You're being arrogant. Let me explain why. If your prayer is about you and your needs, then it's all about you. Huh? I'm so humble, I need to tell somebody about it. Right? You see people on Twitter, this amazes me, humbled to be somewhere. I'm like, you're not humble. You're announcing it to the world. Now watch, I'm saying this because we get the wrong perspective. Humility is us accepting what God has said and declaring what he has said. Because many times it is going to be humiliating to this flesh to do it. But we don't put any confidence in this flesh. This flesh says, I'm sick. But the spirit man rises up and says, the scripture says, I am healed. So I humble myself under God's opinion, under what God has promised me and say, I am healed, even though my body is racked with sickness. And the religious person would say, that's arrogant. That's prideful. You sound like one of those name it and claim it people. You sound like one of those blab it and grab it people. I don't know, all those... It, it sounds like you're messed up with that health and wealth gospel. No, I'm straightened out with that health and wealth gospel. I was messed up, but then I found out that God wanted me healthy and prosperous. So I've humbled myself under his opinion to receive what he says, and it's kind of humiliating to say this about my life when I know I don't deserve it, and I know not everybody's going to understand that, but I've humbled myself under God's opinion. And choose to believe him above all else. Yeah. 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 To say what he says, despite what I think about it. That's true humility. What does God, what has he done? Jesus said, I came to give you life and that more abundantly. God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Yeah. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Whoever, whatever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them. And you shall have them. Lord, I don't ask for much. Start asking for much. Come on, get up out of that false humility. Humble yourself under the word. Humble yourself under the promise of God and believe that he wants you to have an extraordinary, large, prosperous, blessed life. Because Jesus Christ paid way too high a price for us to sit around picking our nose thinking about what we don't deserve. You are the children of Almighty God. So your Heavenly Father wants you to be the best and to have the best. And the sooner you accept it, the sooner you will live in that reality. I hope I'm helping you today. Huh? Okay. Jesus said this. Well, he said a lot of things, but this, this one particular thing I'll get to in a second. There's a scripture that says, Back in the Old Testament, it says, what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord, the Lord has shown you what is good, and what does he require of you? Justice, mercy, and humility. That's what he requires, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Well, in, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is, is quoting that verse, which is really is quoting himself. I mean, that he is the word. Verse 23, let's bring that up. 
Just right quick, if you can. Matthew 23, 23. Was it up earlier? And he's talking to the religious guys, the guys who think they're humble. And this is what he has to say about them. What are you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? He's not talking about people that mess up in life and then end up in church the next day and people go, oh my God, look who's here. Look at that hypocrite. I saw them in the club last night. What, what, how did you see them in the club, idiot? Right? You know what, the, you know what the, the one Baptist guy said to the other Baptist guy in the liquor store? Absolutely nothing. No. <laughs> okay, who else can I pick? What other denominations can I pick on? All right, no, I'm just kidding. What do you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Now watch, this is what Jesus is saying. He goes, you guys are really good at paying your tithes. You even tithe, tithe all the way down to the spice rack in your kitchen. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law. In other words, you know, there are some things that are more important. And Jesus said, that's cool and stuff, all right? But you've neglected the really more, the more important things. Watch. Justice and mercy and Whoa, I thought God required justice, mercy, and humility. Yeah. Did Jesus just teach us something that faith and humility are really the same thing? They're really the same thing. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Yeah, you should have done the other things, but you've forgotten the weightier matters, justice, mercy, and faith. So to walk humbly before God, to humble yourself, is to believe God no matter the cost. It's an audacious surrender to God. So I want to encourage you today, humble yourself before God. Yes. Not through a religious lens, thinking you've got to crouch and beg and plead, oh God. But to actually act like you are who he says you are. Amen. To be sons of God in the earth. To be the children of God. To be the church. And to declare what God has said so that you can live in that experience. Yes. We worship him, we serve our God, we brag on Jesus, and we humble ourselves by believing him no matter the cost. Not considering our circumstances, not considering even our own bodies, but simply being persuaded that God is able to perform that which he promised. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, I want to thank you for all these who are here today. God, I thank you that your grace and mercy has come to us so abundantly, Lord. Thank you for this great salvation with which you saved us. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. Thank you that you took upon yourself every curse, every sickness, every disease, everything that was foreign to us, everything that was contrary to us, everything that was contrary to us being right with God. You bridged the gap. You brought men and God together. You justified the ungodly. And in your death, with one hand you reached up and you took the hand of the offended God. And with the other hand you reached down and took the hand of the offending sinner. And you brought those hands together in redemption. And we thank you for that. Thank you that with you all things are possible now. Lord, I pray that our behavior as the righteous in the earth would be the kind of behavior that is sold out in gratitude and in service to God. One that is constantly talking about Jesus. 
bragging about him because he's worth bragging about. Our glorying is in him and in his goodness in our lives and that we would humble ourselves, Father, under your word and behave like the righteous are called to behave. Thank you, God. I pray for all these here under the sound of my voice, Lord, those here in this room, and those even listening by podcast. I thank you, Lord. I pray now that grace and peace would be multiplied to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would live in the experience of your word. Live in the experience of your word because your word is life to those who find it. It's health to all of their flesh. So we receive it now. We humble ourselves under your word today, Lord. I don't want to live by my own reasoning, by my own thinking. Father, I believe you today. I don't want to argue with you, argue with your word. I just want to believe you today. Maybe today that needs to be your prayer. Maybe you've been arguing with God. You've been fighting truth in your life. Just talk to him and say, Father, I I, I believe you today. I'm not going to live my life for myself. I'm not going to do things my way. I understand that the life that I have is a gift from you. So I humble myself to you today and say, use me for your glory. I choose your way. I choose your word. I choose your will. Let it be accomplished. Bless me indeed in this earth today. Bless me, Lord. Increase me so that I can not only be blessed, but also be a blessing. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.